What's up, everybody? It's Sathya Sam here, and welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you're having an amazing day. And um, this is like a milestone interview that I'm about to share with you guys. And um, mark my words, you heard it here first. The concepts that we discussed today, sexual fluidity, heterofluidity, these are going to become mainstream terms in probably five to ten years in Christian circles, um, you know, you don't have to look too far to see that the topics of gender and orientation and attraction are becoming more and more common, uh, not just in mainstream media, but really in Christian circles as well. And it's interesting, you know, probably about a third of our client base experiences same-sex attraction. And there's just complexities of a situation like that. And, and maybe we've made it more complex than it needs to be. That's not always the case. But I think because we've been so quiet and shut down about all things sexual, especially the you know far to reach subjects like same-sex attraction and orientation and whatever, it's just caused a lot of problems and a lot of confusion. And so this interview today or this three-way conversation between Drew, Shane, and myself is really uh, we're sharing some of our own experiences as heterosexual men experiencing same-sex attraction. Uh, We talk a little bit about what it looks like to kind of, I guess, have a biblical lens and also a clinical lens dealing with, um, not dealing with it, but I guess making sense of these experiences and what you and I can do if we're trying to just, um, you know, handle our attractions and all that in a godly way. Because I think where sometimes things have gone too far is we've just made really strong conclusions about our identity, about our orientation based on more innocent moments of attraction. And so anyway, it's a wide-reaching interview. We talk about a lot of different things, lots of research behind this as well. So even though we're sharing stories, we're providing a little bit of a foundation. I mean, granted, this is not the most researched subject in the world, but we did our best. And obviously a little bit of biblical foundation as well. Uh, it's pretty pretty much impossible to do this conversation well without including that. So it's uh, it's well rounded. It's not going to be. Um, it, this is not an, an episode where we tell you how to think about something. This is where we give you some ideas, some thoughts, some experiences, and what we hope it'll do is at least open your eyes and maybe give you a different a different lens to look at some of this stuff through. And I think for some of you, it's going to be super validating. So. Very excited to share it with you. I just encourage you, keep an open mind, keep an open heart. Without further ado, here we go. So here's the million dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives and a God-given purpose supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts, all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question. And this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Welcome to a conversation between me, Drew Boa, founder of Husband Material, Shane O'Neill, editorial director at Proven Men Ministries, and Sathya Sam, founder of Deep Clean. We are all here to talk about the topic of sexual fluidity. And I want to give you a little preface. We are all learners here. We are co-learners, not pretending to be experts, not pretending to be some kind of PhD or researcher. We are human beings and we are leaders helping other human beings 
who like us have had sexual brokenness in our lives and learning about this topic can be incredibly helpful. So we're going to, first of all, describe what is sexual fluidity and then share some experiences that we've had. How have we personally experienced our sexuality as fluid, meaning dynamic, um, fluid, meaning flexible, something that is not always the same. And then after sharing, we'll share some thoughts and reflections. And our hope is that vulnerability will lead to validation and that we can all feel a little bit more normal or less normal as, <laughs> as the case may be. You know, some of us who feel like we have no questions about our sexuality and uh, whether we're heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, whatever, you might think that you're one thing. And, and in this episode, maybe you'll begin to question that a little bit and think, hmm, am I normal? Um, or am I just as abnormal as everybody else? And if you feel abnormal, maybe you will feel a little bit more normal. Okay, so Drew, that, um, first of all, uh, kudos to you for spearheading the subject. When we talked about you know, doing this interview, um, obviously it's a, very, it's a very relevant subject, but um, relatively new territory, even from a research perspective, and so thank you for just being our brave leader. And um, I had this question even myself uh, not too long ago, and you gave a really helpful description. But can we just clarify what is sexual fluidity compared to gender fluidity or some of the other terms that circulate that could sound synonymous if somebody's not familiar with the topic? Yeah, so sexuality and gender can be very, very confusing. Let me break it down. Sexual orientation and sexual attraction is different than gender expression. So let's say my sexual orientation and attraction is toward men. I can be expressing myself in my gender as a man attracted to men, or I might be expressing myself in my gender as a woman also attracted to men. So the sexual attraction is the same, but the gender expression is different. Um, on the other hand, let's say I'm attracted to women. I can do that with my gender expression as a man, gender expression as a woman, gender expression in all kinds of different ways. And that's part of the conversation that we're going to have today is what do we do with all of these categories <laughs> that are out there? Um, LGBTQ2IA+, um, all of these categories assume that sexual orientation is a category. It, it is a category. It's, it's fixed. It's rigid. It's something maybe that has been traditionally seen as uh, as something that we don't question something that is is just there uh, as part of who i am yeah research by lisa diamond who is in utah about sexual fluidity in males and females has challenged this and so i'm going to read her definition of sexual fluidity from her article um, which we can have a link to in the show notes that was published in 2016. Lisa Diamond says, sexual fluidity has been defined as a capacity for situation dependent flexibility and sexual responsiveness, which allows individuals to experience changes in same sex or other sex desire across both short term and long term periods. The existence of sexual fluidity does not imply that everyone is bisexual or that sexual orientation does not exist. 
Rather, it indicates that sexual orientation does not rigidly predict each and every desire an individual will experience over the lifespan. Some gay men and lesbians experience periodic other sex attractions, just as some heterosexuals experience periodic same-sex attraction. I want to simplify that for everyone. Basically, our sexuality does not have to be one thing. And oftentimes it changes over our lifespan. It can wiggle around. It can go back and forth. And that is totally normal. In mm. fact, it's much, much, much more common than you might think for someone who is predominantly attracted to one type of person to occasionally be attracted to another type of person or maybe to something that's not a person. <laughs> that is called sexual fluidity. Um, and Lisa Diamond has also coined this other term, which I think is very interesting, heteroflexible, meaning that um, someone is predominantly attracted to the opposite sex and yet not exclusively. And that's different from bisexual. Bisexual is, is uh, an identity or an orientation which is saying I'm predominantly attracted to both men and women. Heteroflexible is more like, well, I'm predominantly attracted to one, but there's some wiggle room. There's some fluidity here. Hmm. So as I talk with men, as I talk with my clients, my students, with you guys, as I talk with family members, and as I really think about my own experience, I'm like, wow, sexual fluidity is everywhere. We just don't talk about it. Hmm. So let's change that today. Um, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about our experiences of sexual fluidity. So Shane and Sathya, how have you experienced sexual fluidity? Yeah, these are uh, uh, categories just, just uh, laying all my cards on the table. These are categories that do intimidate me. They intimidate me because I'm still learning how to, how about that, orient around them. Um, so I have to do translation work. Um, I have to do translation work in my head of sexual fluidity, looking particularly at, you know, translating that to uh, kind of sexual arousal. It's like at that level, it's like, okay, yeah, for sure. Like I absolutely have. I'll have like, you know, dreams of anxiety or like guilt or something like that and wake up aroused. And I'm like, yeah, that's the last thing I actually want right now. But my body is reacting that way. Mm -hmm. I have no recall of a of a naked individual in the dream. But because there's uh, stimuli, there's there's a response. Um, my own. My own attraction is is more like what did you say H hetero uh, fluid hetero flexible hetero flexible yeah <laughs> yeah and i i noticed that a while ago um like years ago i've never i've never done anything with men um i've just noted that uh that there's a, a magnetic sort of pool there's some gravity there uh, when I was watching porn or those sorts of things, again, I never actually acted out, but it would freak me out when I would notice in myself an attraction in that direction. Um, I, I I do. So I was I was listening to a 
no, I was reading a John Mayer uh, musician. Um, and he's talking about how he is more fluid in his sexuality, but he he does attribute that to pornography. Um, and it's because when the option is there or when uh, when sexual stimulation is is predicated upon novelty, at a certain point, you start looking for new forms of novelty. And so for me, there's a lot of components that go into this about like, okay, what part of this is my humanity and what part of this is is being informed by the culture around me where it's like, okay, like sexual stimulant is like, sure, that is for sure a spectrum. Um, but then on the other side, it's like, but then how much is, is uh, identity with sexuality, with pleasure um, as a cultural script and the impact of pornography upon my psyche and the psyche of my peers uh, impacting our, our exploration of novelty and impacting our, sexual orientation in that way so i'd love to hear y'all's thoughts i'm basically laying out my all my cards and saying these are these kind of some of the categories that i have these are how i'm thinking through it um and some of the dilemmas i run into yeah i know for me personally i mean this is a fascinating conversation just because i've grown up with really rigid boundaries around gender defining gender and defining sexual orientation and I think in my head, it was always like, if you are a man and you're attracted to men, you're gay. Um, I imagine a lot of us just kind of probably grew up with that sort of ideology, right? And so yeah. the concept of fluidity is really liberating because um, for me personally, I remember my, even my friends, we would always joke around about like, oh yeah, so-and-so, like that's a pretty man. That's an attractive dude right there, you know? Yeah. Because we can tell they're, they're good looking, they're muscular, they have those attractive physical qualities. We're not even necessarily saying I'm attracted to that person. But even that's an example of like, we obviously notice these things in the same sex. Um, and why why would it be so taboo to even just express if you had attraction to someone? Um, those are some of the earlier memories, but I can recall probably in the last five, seven years, uh, a few specific moments, excuse me, where I actually encountered a man and, and legitimately felt an attraction to that person, uh, very similar to how I would have been attracted to a woman. and and was really scared by it the first time it happened because right away the only paradigms i had were i'm experiencing attraction to someone of the same sex oh no and wait am i gay i had no idea you know like just immediately leaping over there because i didn't have any other way to sort of categorize it and um, i didn't have even a term like sexual fluidity like i said i've just learned about this kind of recently but it was neat. And this is, you know, one of the things we always teach in our program and our systems is the value of leaning into the voice of God and really having him encourage you and guide you through the many questions and concerns and curiosities that come with sexuality. And I just felt no condemnation from God from those experiences. And that was really helpful for me to just settle back into my skin and be like, oh, yeah, but I am like, you know, interested in women. And that is my orientation. Um, and this term hetero. Uh, flexibility uh, that is that is exactly where I think I would land in all of this but but full on like just to be completely blunt definitely have had my share of experiences where I've seen a man and thought oh that person's attractive and experienced the same a, a similar response physiologically and psychologically that I've experienced when I'm attracted to women which is what I experience predominantly hmm. yeah same here good. yeah I mean it's like having a man crush yeah. <laughs> like 
it seems like there are probably some guys out there who have never had a so-called man crush, never, never had uh, uh, thoughts about another guy that that were um, appreciative, maybe, maybe thoughts about another guy that were kind of nervous or like uh, admiring that person. Um, maybe even maybe even having a, a, a sexual thought or two. Maybe there are some guys out there who have never had that. But I think the vast majority of us have at least had some kind of flexibility um, in what we're attracted to. And I also really like what Shane said about how arousal primarily depends on stimulation. Yeah. More than more than any kind of inherent traits within ourselves. And so if there's if there's something stimulating, it's going to be arousing. Um, let me get a little graphic, if that's OK. Trigger trigger warning here. Um, I'm going to talk about genitals and the penis. So if someone is touching your penis, doesn't matter if it's a man, if it's a woman, if it's a dog licking your penis like that is going to stimulate that is going to result in some kind of arousal no matter who you are and so it makes perfect sense that that sexuality uh wouldn't be like a brick wall that 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 can be uh impermeable to those kinds of experiences but no it can it can be changed yeah. it can be fluid um, like, like liquid. I mean, that's the kind of the image is like, it's, it's not just a solid block of ice. It's, it's a little bit more liquid and fluid. And that's not to say that changing our sexuality should be the goal or that, that it's ever, um, appropriate to say, uh, I'm, I'm going to go out there and, and change my sexual attractions because I don't like them. I mean, that can actually be quite harmful and and i would never i would never support that kind of a a goal in ministry in counseling and coaching that's not what we do here what we do is we want to understand our sexuality better so we can learn to bless it instead of curse it and manage it in a way that's healthy and life-giving and so part of that means means talking about it so it looks like Cynthia. it looks like you wanted to say something yeah, I was gonna. I was just gonna mention something. So I and this came up in some of the research notes. But um, one thing that that my clients will experience often is watching same-sex porn, watching gay porn, even though they're married and really they're attracted to women. And I just want to add this in because uh, Drew, I think what you what you just hit on at the end is so important. Like our attraction is really telling us stories about ourselves. It's giving us clues of what's going on within us, and. Um, you know, one of the experiences I had where I felt attraction to another man, uh, I talked to my wife about because I was married. I think that I think that was maybe the only experience I've had uh, when we've been married. And um, when I was reflecting on it, I was realizing actually that I don't even know if it was necessarily attraction, um, but he he had he was very secure in an area where I was very insecure. And the experience was actually ex exploiting more of my insecurity than it was anything else. And it was really useful, actually. And like I said, being able to go through that free of the guilt and condemnation, my wife was definitely taken aback by what I had shared with her, but very supportive and um, there to process. 
Um, but it was actually very useful insights into some things that were going on within my own heart. And I think that's the value of paying attention to the things that actually do cause any kind of physiological response in us, whether it's arousal or something else. So I just want to add that to what you're saying, Drew, because um, obviously we're all big on this concept anyway, and I think it ties in nicely to this conversation. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So we want to pay attention to the arousal so that we can understand our story so that we can pursue greater healing in whatever is unresolved. Um, mm. And trauma really can have an effect on our sexuality and, and it can, it can fixate our sexuality on, on one thing. So let me talk about my experiences a little bit because my sexual attraction starting from around the time when I was hitting puberty really fixated on a sexual fetish, a uh, sexual fetish for braces and orthodontics, uh, especially in teenage girls. I was a teenager at the time and, and it really fixated there. And I think the, the trauma caused my sexuality to become very rigidly attached to images and individuals that fit my, my narrow window. Um, and, and so in that case, it was, it was really a, a huge burden to me to feel like, oh my goodness, this is the only, this is the only thing that, that really turns me on. Um, especially when I got married, um, even though I had not sexually acted out for over a year, by the time I got married, I wasn't able to respond to my wife. Um, I wasn't able to have intercourse with her for the first seven months. Uh-huh. And a lot of that is because I was conditioned by masturbating to these images and thoughts for years and years. And, and I needed to unlearn that my body needed to unlearn that. And my sexuality did become more fluid, more flexible, and eventually learned how to, how to enjoy another person's touch, not just my own touch, um, in areas of the body where I was previously totally closed off. Hmm. Um, along the way, and even now, sometimes I experience sexual attraction that's sometimes just weird. And it's, it's really <laughs> crazy. Some examples might be um, in a counseling session one time, I was going through grief counseling, uh, the, the counselor kind of looked like my mother. And, and one time she, she said something so powerful to me, I felt so accepted by her. I felt the urge to kiss her right in the middle of our counseling session. That came up in my head. Um, occasionally in a conversation with a guy, there was, there was one guy who, who was telling me that as a kid, he, he used to imagine what it would be like to have braces on his teeth. Um, and so he put a paperclip in his mouth to kind of pretend. And that's something I did as a kid too, as this fetish was developing. And I had never heard anyone say that before. I, th- I always thought I was the only person who ever did that. And when he said that, I felt the urge to kiss him. And that kind of freaked me out. Well, we had established a level of trust together that I opened up to him about it. And it was totally fine. It was desexualized. It passed. And yet it was there. It was very real. And in the moment, it was somewhat strong. 
Now that doesn't tell me who I am. That that doesn't ultimately shake the foundation of of my view of myself because I understand that sexuality is fluid. Because I understand that hey, it can wiggle around. It's not fixed. It it doesn't have to be fixated. And especially when there's when there's an experience like that that touches to some of the core experiences, like, of course, it's going to be arousing. Of course, it's going to be stimulating. It's going to be yeah. fascinating. It's going to be interesting. And and if we could maybe create some more space for us to talk about those weird little moments, wow, how different, how different our world would be. Hmm. You use a uh, Sathya-ism. Uh, <laughs> Drew, thank you for your transparency. Really, really appreciate you letting us see you. That's that's not lost on us. Thank you. Yeah. So do you guys think like, uh, cause I guess I'm thinking about this and I'm like, do you think people mistakenly identify as, or have mistakenly identified as, as being gay because they had no other way to describe or articulate what they were experiencing or like what, what can someone do with this term and actually think about how it might apply to their own situation? Cause I know for me, like hetero flexibility, like that term alone is quite life-changing, very liberating, really helps me understand it um, and helps me understand that, you know, if I do experience attraction to a man, um, I'm not automatically gay. And um, obviously my question is a little bit facetious. I don't believe people have mistakenly identified necessarily, but I guess I'm just wondering how do people, you know what I mean? Like how do you process this and apply it appropriately when you're trying to govern your own attractions? Yeah, I, I I really like uh the 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 tool that Drew was trying to give us of uh it's okay to ask questions of your impulses. It's okay to do that. Um hetero flexibility is helpful because I have used the language to describe myself as bisexual. And it's like, well that's that's not that's not entirely true. It's like, no, like I have a baseline. I for sure do, but uh but yes, like, I, I don't know if you guys can relate to this at all, but going to the doctor for a physical and they have to like, you know, check it down there. Mm -hmm. and like as a kid, I was like, I was always so scared. I was like, what if I get an erection yeah. while they're, you know, <laughs> doing that? I was like mortified. Right. It was terrifying. Thank God. I, I don't, I have no memory of it ever happening. So either it was so traumatic that I blocked it out or it's never happened. Um, either, either way like that, I, I had, I had, you know, you, it's, a, it's okay. I, I can be gentle with myself. Because, uh, yeah, erotic stimulation, like it's not something I can beat myself up about, but I can be present to myself. I can be gentle and I can ask myself questions and invite other people to ask me questions, which is pretty, pretty cool. So I like what, what Drew was trying to give us. Um, yeah. The other the other aspect um, for me, I think, Cynthia, we've talked about this a little bit before about how we've reduced touch to the sensual. Um, instead of in the context of the familial. Um, and so I, I do like also, like, I think that's a really helpful recalibration key. That is for me. It's like, okay, I'm longing for touch. And so the cultural script is eroticism. Mm -hmm. It's sexual intimacy. And it's like, well, no, you, you really just need a hug, you know, like you need, <laughs> and it's okay to get a hug from a male, but I just translate it as I'm attracted to another dude. 
you know, kind of like what you were talking about earlier, Cynthia, where it's like, well, no, I actually really just looked up to this guy. He was masculine in a way that I want to be masculine. And so I noticed an attraction and it's like, yeah, like that's, that's paternal, you know, that is, that's very familial. Uh, mm. But for me, I just do because of the cultural script I have, I do just instant translation work. It's like those, those two things of, of um, gentleness and self introspection, just asking questions instead of reacting. And then the other of, of really exploring the distinction between the sensual and the familial and not just reducing touch to only the sensual. So good. Yeah. Like I probably have the exact same uh, yearning for a hug as somebody who would say they identify as same sex attracted, except for me, it's not sexual at all. We both have this, this hunger, this yearning for brotherhood, for um, embodied connection, for intimacy. But the way we interpret it is very different. And the way our bodies interpret it is different. Um, yeah. for, some, for some, that might be so charged. That, that might be very uh, arousing. It might, be, it might feel scary. Mm. But to me... It doesn't feel scary. It doesn't feel arousing. It just feels normal. It just feels like a human thing. Yeah. On the other hand, for somebody else, like let's say uh, somebody as as an as an adult uh, decides to get braces or Invisalign, for somebody else that conversation is like, oh, whatever. For me, I'm on high alert. I'm like, all right, this is this is a danger zone for me. Hmm. Uh, I can even feel my heartbeat racing right now because that's. That's part of uh, how my sexuality has been formed and, yeah. and deformed. And so like, and, and I don't think that's anything inherent to who I am. That's, that's the way my, my body and my little mind kind of received stimulation and, and fascination and the unanswered questions of my childhood, you know? And, and so like this, this idea of, of sexual fluidity gives us so much grace and space to to accept ourselves uh, in the middle of whatever we're experiencing. Um, you know what? When when I was masturbating and and trying to uh, achieve some kind of uh, distance from porn, and I I tried out healthy masturbation, and, and ultimately it didn't work for me. But while I was doing that, I tried to masturbate to anything and everything. That, that, that was actually not a human being. So I didn't want to objectify. I didn't want to lust after right. another person made in the image of God. So I tried to think of all kinds of things. And, and I, it, I finally found something that would just capture my imagination enough to orgasm. And you know what it was? A really delicious cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> Man, there is no sexual category for that that I'm aware of. You know, like, <laughs> food fetish, I guess maybe, but <laughs> maybe it, it, it was only it was one time, and it has never allured me since then. Um, <laughs> but like, our sexuality can do all kinds of crazy things, um, yeah. and that's one of them for me. And whoever's listening to this, I'm sure you can think of you can think of something for you. That was weird or different. And if you can't think of something, that's okay too. Um, you may or may not be in the majority of people. In fact, I think 
off the cuff, the majority of people are far more flexible than we let others know. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Drew, I was even thinking about, um, I, I think this is out of that study that, again, we'll put the link in the show notes too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, such a, it was such a fascinating statement. It said, most recent data suggests that about 10% of men report some degree of same-sex attraction and four, 14% of women. And in the vast... Am I, am I, is, this, is this right, Drew? Am I, am I taking it yeah. from the right study? Yeah. Well, yeah, actually this... So um, we might have to backtrack there a little bit. Um, okay. I took that from a different interview and I can I can get you the link for that too. Oh, got it. Okay. Yeah, that was on the next page and I'll, uh, I'll send a link for that. Um, Sorry, I, I started reali- reading it and then realized, I don't know if you had intended to read it. So that that's... I wasn't, I wasn't sure, but I just thought it tied in nicely. That's where I was going. It's okay. It. Let's, let's edit this part out and yeah. I will put in the link for that article. That, that was actually a, a podcast as well. Um, it's called the new science of sexual fluidity. Okay. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to insert it right there. Boom. Sweet. All right. Okay. Let's try that oh, again. Do you want me to bring it up though? Or did you, were you intending to bring it up later? No, that was perfect. The way you did it was perfect. We just need to give people the right link. Yep. Okay, cool. Um, gosh, I'm trying to remember how I segued into that. Well, um, you said, so I was talking about how I think the vast majority of people are more flexible than we let others know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would totally agree with that. Uh, obviously, from my own experience and just um, having worked with so many men now who are working through sexual issues. And I was, it reminded me of some of the other research that came up. This is from a, a different, um, I think it's a podcast interview you said, Drew, and we'll put the link to this in the show notes as well. Um, but it, it said this, I'll just read it verbatim. The most recent data suggests that about 14% of women and about 10% of men report some degree of same-sex attraction. So those are relatively low numbers, I would say. Um, but in both men and women, the vast majority of those individuals describe themselves as mostly, but not completely heterosexual. So the largest group of individuals walking around with same-sex attractions are individuals who you would never know had same-sex attractions. They identify as heterosexual. They think they're mainly heterosexual, but they're also heteroflexible. So I think it ties in a little bit here, right? Because um, we're, we're talking about, well, we're talking about spectrums, right? And, and it's interesting to think that actually of the people who are experiencing same-sex attraction, that actually identify as homosexual, it's it's a shockingly small percentage. Um, and this whole concept of the the flexibility, um, heteroflexibility is is probably occupying, I would I would guess, a majority of the population. Yeah, and and it really causes me to even question whether whether anyone really fits really, really, really neatly into any category. I mean, we're human mm. beings, we're complex. Our brains have a quadrillion neurons and there's like a universe within each of us. I mean, we we don't really fit neatly into, into categories most of the time. Yeah. And I think about a friend of mine who was almost exclusively same-sex attracted until he met the woman that he married and they had wonderful, enjoyable sex every night of their honeymoon. Meanwhile, I am almost exclusively attracted to women. And when I got married, 
I did not have that experience. It was a yeah. tough honeymoon for me. And I was mm. like, what is wrong with me? Do I have delayed ejaculation? Um, and so the the things that that we think we are aroused by exclusively are sometimes a lot more flexible than we think. Yeah. Uh, Drew, as much as you're comfortable, I guess I'm just curious because I, I can only imagine there's people listening that are resonating with this. They're saying, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Thank God, like I'm, you know, I'm not the weird one or whatever. Um, and I think, you know, people might even hear, oh, you had the first seven months you were married, uh, you weren't able to, uh, you know, to experience an erection and, and really get engaged physically, uh, poor induced erectile dysfunction. There's lots of different ways, but, um, but for you, this is, this was clearly more in this concept of fluidity. How did you work through it? And I know you talked a little bit about, um, about touch and that kind of thing. As much as you're comfortable though, I'm just, I'm just thinking for other people who maybe are going through something similar. Is there anything practical you can offer them for how they take that next step? For somebody in marriage who wants to experience greater arousal in sex with your wife, um, like there are all kinds of, of ways to allow your, your sexual pleasure to flourish. Um, and to to have a safe space to develop. One of the most important uh, foundations for this is described in a book that I'm reading right now called The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex by Sheila Ray Gregoire and Keith Gregoire. And they say this, they're talking about women primarily, but they're saying in order for you to really experience sexual arousal and, uh, and an enjoyable orgasm, you have to feel the freedom to say no and to take off all the pressure because mm -hmm. that sense of obligation or pressure will really kill the the excitement mm -hmm. so you have to have the freedom to say no at any time and um there are lots of different ways to to become more aroused to the person rather than to the pleasure per se. Um, so for example, learning non-sexual touch, learning to touch each other's hands in a way that's really enjoyable, making eye contact for a sustained period of time, um, being focused on, on maybe having a really good cuddle, knowing that there's not gonna be an orgasm and saying, we're not gonna have an orgasm. You know, people do that when they're dating all the time and they get so, so, so excited <laughs> and I think part of it is because there's there's no pressure. It's like no, we're not gonna we're not gonna go there. And of course, that builds this this feeling of of wanting to go there. So uh, maybe it's a little bit of reverse psychology. But the point is, um, for me, it took time. It was messy. It it was not simple. Over time. I grew to feel safe. I grew to really connect with my wife as a person, not as an object, and and to be aroused by her, not by the fantasy playing in my head when I'm with her. Yeah, makes sense. So on the one hand, somebody saying, I want to get rid of these attractions that I don't want, um, that 
attitude itself is is not something to feed, not something to to grow. We that kind of hostility um, is toxic. Somebody saying, "I want, I want to grow closer to this person I'm married to," or "I want to, I want to be able to experience pleasure with with this person." Now that is totally, totally a, a goal worth pursuing. Hmm. You know, and because we can, we can have the, we can be flexible. Uh, we 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 can have these attractions towards other things, and not be controlled by them, and not yeah. be thinking about them while having sex. We can, we can be faithful and flexible. How about that? <laughs> I like the alliteration. I think it always plays. <laughs> yeah, learning learning how to be a friend to myself has been a really interesting journey uh i had to find that language you know like that wasn't language that was ever given to me and it's been really important to discover um so i'm with you on all that and drew i mean to your point there's um so there's uh, a cuddle industry right there's a touch industry that's 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 yeah it's it's really big it just like just started springing up a few years ago and it's already really big because Hookup culture has been how we express touch, right? Mm -hmm. It's only erotic. It's only sensual. And so we just funnel it through that. Mm. And so there's this cuddle industry and people hire them. And there's really strict protocol against sexual sexual involvement. And they just hire them to come and like hold them or like to go for a walk and hold their hand, knowing there nothing will ever come of it. They, uh, yeah, I mean, one, one of the... Uh, one of the businesses, their their slogan is "We're so sex obsessed that we're touch deprived," you know, and that that is heavy, heavy, heavy. I mean, I, yeah. I had um, I had several several men in my wedding who are gay. You know, like I've never done anything sexual with them. They've never done anything sexual with me. But I I trust our conversations. I trust their confession. And I've seen this in my own life. Like I don't go to porn just because I'm horny. That's like five percent of the time. You know, like yeah. I go when I'm lonely, when I'm bored, when I'm scared, when I'm depressed, whatever. And them willing to be honest with me about that and with me being like, yeah, I can offer you masculine affection uh, and we can work so that it's it's not erotic, you know, like being willing to be a, a safe friend who's of the same gender as them. And so, yeah, there's there are a lot of components to this. Uh, but I, I do think like, yeah, like, yeah, it's less of, yeah, sexual stimulation is a real thing. Um, but so is loneliness. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, that needs to be a part of the, uh, the, the variables that we're looking at to try and make sense of things. Cause that's, uh, it's been important in my life and it's been important, at least in my relationships with friends who have same sex attraction. And there's a whole industry growing up around us behind it. It's not just an observation chain is making. Yeah. Wow. I never heard that before. Hmm. That's pretty fascinating. Yeah. yeah. It is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember the first time it was about seven years ago when a friend, he's, uh, he has same sex attraction and he, he, he was trying to explain to me why he's attracted to men. And he, he said, I I didn't know my dad. Uh, he 
said, I see other men who are strong, uh, who have charisma, who are articulate, who have good careers, whatever. And I want them, sorry, this is graphic, but it's real. I want them to rub off on me, Hmm. right? I want them to be inside me. I want what they have, right? I I need that to shape my masculinity. Uh, And I was just blown away by the candor of it. You know, just the candor of it, it it gave a whole new expression to Jesus saying, I will come and live inside you. I will dwell inside you, right? Until Christ is formed in you. It's like, wow, we are image bearers and the gospel allows us to see God, you know, and he can rub off on us, right? He makes his home inside of us. I will be in you. So it's, it's union language. It's strong, but it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really beautiful way of communicating intimacy and humanity at the same time. And I would never would have been able to, to see the gospel that way. Um, if my friend wasn't willing to be honest about how he, his longings are to shape his own masculinity, his own humanity. Uh, yeah. So thoughts welcome, but that was, that was huge for me. And that's something I've been just going deeper and deeper into over the last few years. That's cool. Well, I, I kind of had a question that I've been wanting to ask you, Shane, which is, um, and you, you've sort of segued into it, which is, I guess, what, what's the theological basis of fluidity? Because I think a lot of our binary paradigms around this whole conversation stem from our interpretation of scripture and um, some of the tendencies that we've had, at least in previous decades and centuries, to gravitate towards black and white thinking, you know, you're gay or you're straight, um, male or female, obviously the gender part is a different um, side of the equation that we're not going into today. But um, I guess I'm just curious, what is there a theological basis for this concept of fluidity and how does that kind of wrap into some of the precepts of the Bible? And I, I'm asking Shane directly, but obviously Drew, I'm sure you have some thoughts too. I'm, I'm just, just curious. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. It's an important question because the Bible is a love story, right? It begins with union and then it ends with a wedding. So it's, it's, it's important to, to read it that way. And I mean, the Old Testament is God relentlessly pursuing his bride, his people, and this constant rejection, this constant leaving, and then sending, sending a son, you know, sending a son and saying, I, I've sent my prophets, I've sent my kings, they're all rejected, I will send my son. Right, I will. I will go to them, and he does. And it's, uh, it's, it's a yeah, it's a cool love story about being wooed and pursued, and uh, yeah, it is important to wrestle with that. And I, I know people have said um, uh, humanity precedes sexuality, and I just don't know how to actually read Genesis one that way where sexuality and humanity it's the, and he made them male and female you know like literally our 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 sexed gendered identity is a part of our anthropology what it means to be human mm. and i think that there's a lot of i think there's a lot of space in god's kingdom to explore scripts and i i am a man i'm i'm shane i'm a man i get to explore with Jesus in relationship, what it means to be a son, what it means to be a brother, what it means to be right a, a male friend, a groom, brotherhood, 
all sorts of things. I get to explore that. And that's really fluid. You know, like I get to create the script in my relationships mm. for that. Uh, I, I think a lot of people react against their own gender because they're really reacting to the scripts and they're seeing that as synonymous. Like I, my masculinity doesn't play out that way. So F masculinity, right? And, and they just throw it all away. And it's like, I, I think there's a lot of space to be like, okay, there's continuity. And then I get to explore in a lot of really remarkable sp spectrumatic ways, right? Uh, what that looks like and, and, and how that plays out. So that's the immediate answer off the top of my head, Sathya. Yeah. That like there is a, a baseline, um, but then Jesus invites us to use that baseline to explore his kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not advocating for like promiscuity or anything like that. Uh, but I, I think you guys hear me. Hear me properly, oh yeah. yeah yeah i wasn't coming out that way i don't think cool. um shane while you were talking about that love story in the bible reminded me that we as men are the bride of christ that's kind of <laughs> weird heck yeah um, brother and but maybe if we if we can break free from some of the rigid categorical ways of of trying to define ourselves we can we can accept that in it in a significant way we are we are the bride um, and he is the groom. And yet in another, in another way, like God is, uh, is beyond male or female and yet male and female are created in his image. And, um, and so like, there is a lot of sexual metaphor in the way that he relates to us uh, yeah. in that metaphor of union, um, him being in us, us being in him. Um, our sexuality is, I think it's meant to be a symbol of of the reality that is being united to God, and and so um, maybe maybe there's a lot of of freedom in realizing that that's that's kind of beyond any description or category that we can assign. Yeah, it's been really helpful for me just to hear more of your individual stories and and to share some of mine and realize that hey, we're we are all um, sexually good. We are all sexually broken. Mm. And um, there is a measure of fluidity in each of us um, that we can, we can accept and also we can express in God-honoring ways. Mm. So, Thanks yeah. for facilitating this conversation, Drew. It's been good to be with you guys and to process this with you guys. Yeah, likewise, Jensen. Thanks, Drew. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks, everyone. See you later. All right, later, Peace. man. Well, there you have it, guys. Um, I'm sure you've never heard an interview quite like that or an episode quite like that. That was really, um, really insightful. And I hope, um, I hope not too awkward or uncomfortable. I know these are really like taboo subjects, but I think we have to do our part to to just talk about these things and and really try to set an example if we're going to change the culture then the three of us just figured we'll take it upon our shoulders to at least have some of these conversations and um, and see what we can do so a couple things if you maybe identify with some of the stuff we're talking about maybe you're like Sathya I'm definitely like you know hetero fluid so to speak like I as in I I know that I'm heterosexual but I've had some of these moments and maybe you're just looking to get some more clarity on on how to make sense of it 
highly recommend that you check out uh, some more of our episodes. We're going to put some links in the show notes where we've talked about same-sex attraction, that kind of thing. Uh, maybe it's a little bit more than that. Maybe you're you're kind of working through sexual orientation and your sense of self and how it integrates with the attractions you've experienced. Uh, I want to encourage you. Um, we'll, we'll put some more resources here, uh, what we can find. But what I want to encourage you to do more than that is really lean into God because I think what happens is when, let's say the church has done a poor job talking about this and you don't feel like you've been able to get answers there, we tend to kind of just, uh, we throw it all out. We're like, well, the church can't help me, so God can't help me. And one of the things I've really learned in my experiences is even though the church has not handled things perfectly, uh, God has always been there. And I would have really lost out on a lot of development and recovery if I would have thrown God out as well. But because I was able to say, okay, yep, the church has, you know, kind of failed me here, or they didn't really handle this part well, or they've caused some pain and some wounding, um, I was able to just parse those things and say, but God, you are still faithful. You're still there for me and everything else. And, you know, we still come with questions and maybe you have some doubts. That's totally okay as well. But bring God into this conversation let him speak to you, lean into it. And I think that's probably where you're going to find the most healing and the most breakthrough in addition to maybe some of the resources we can provide. So like I said, this is not a a super well-researched subject. We don't have piles of things that, at least for me, that I feel really confident sharing with you, but we'll do our best and uh, we'll put some links in the show notes. Uh, But in the meantime, guys, just remember, um, this is is more uh, informative so that you can at least get some thoughts going um, have some conversations, do what you need to do. And lastly, you know, if you really are looking for more serious help getting porn and sexual misbehavior out of your life, there's a link in the show notes as well for some ways that you can start to get some help. We would love to be a part of your recovery journey. So that's everything for now, guys. We love you and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hey everybody, it's Sathya again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within. I wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a free ebook that I wrote for you called The Ultimate Guide to Porn Recovery. It provides a basic framework for the recovery process and a few of my top tips completely free of charge. You can get it now at www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. That's www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. Now, if you've been impacted by the podcast and you want to show some support in less than 60 seconds, there are three ways you can do that. First, you can leave a rating or review on your podcast platform. This lets people like you know that the content here is valuable. Secondly, you can share this episode with someone in your life that might benefit from the content. If you're passionate about helping other people experience freedom and success in their lives, this is one of the easiest ways to do that. And lastly, you can subscribe. I personally only listen to the podcast that I subscribe to. If you're seeking daily encouragement, guidance and insight in your recovery journey, I highly recommend subscribing to Unleash the Man Within. Thanks for listening. I look forward to connecting with you very, very soon. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast by Sathya Sam and his guests are for general information only and should not be considered medical, clinical, or any other form of professional advice. Any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk.